We're gonna, we got a lot to cover today, so we're going to dive in. You can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 26. Um, I know you, those of you in that uh, have been through the, we're all in the Ephesians study across the entire congregation, but um, we're not actually in Ephesians, though I would say if, you're, you could, if you have your journal, open it to Ephesians 2, because we're going to be like, I'll tell you in a minute, we're building off of that. Uh, but I don't know if I'm, the, I know I'm not the only one in the room because I know I'm not the only nerd in the room, but when I'm reading, does anyone else like footnotes as much as I do? End notes are of the devil and his kingdom. Footnotes are good because they, they're accessible, right? I hate going to the end of the chapter or worse yet, the end of the book. To, to dig and find what chapter and find the footnotes so I can read more. Why do I like footmo- footnotes? Because they provide additional information, right? They, they give you a little additional information, a little background, a little bit that's not there uh, to help you understand it more fully uh, and then give you references where you go, what it, where, where could you read more about this? And so uh, I love footnotes. And today um, is, a, is a footnote <laughs> in our Ephesians series. So, you know, rather than just doing a random kind of one-off message this week because you know, half the uh, City on the Hill congregations or, uh, you know, people are up in New Hampshire, another half or probably 40% are here, another 10% are home. Um, <laughs> but we're, uh, we're, it'd be hard for us to do a message that was in line with each other. And, and, and so I didn't want to continue with Ephesians. But what I decided to do is give you guys a bonus message. So this is a little footnote, uh, really, from Ephesians 1, uh, chapter 1 uh, through chapter 2, verse 10. Now, it, to, to remind us, to get us up to speed, if you, if you haven't been in the Ephesians series so far, Ephesians 1 is Paul laying out all the spiritual blessings that we get in Christ, right? So he's laying out the, the blessings of redemption, the blessings of uh, forgiveness, the blessings of being adopted, the blessing of getting an inheritance. And then in chapter 2, Paul begins to explain, uh, he begins by explaining, that, sorry, I think I got one of my wife's hairs on my head. I know it's not mine. <laughs> that happens occasionally. Maybe first time while I'm preaching, but yeah, it's like been hanging there all day and I haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> but uh, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, Paul's outlining uh, we are dead in our trespasses. This is our spiritual condition prior to Christ. He says we're dead, we're, dis- we're disobedient, we're living according to the pattern of this world, according to the pattern of, of, of Satan in this world, and we are under God's wrath. And then he says, but God, right? If you remember that from a few weeks ago, I preached on that message, and if you weren't here, but the, the, it just right in the middle of that terrible description, verses 1 through 3, it, it says, but God. So God chose to intervene in that moment uh, in history and, and, and bring, it says, but God, um, because of his great love for us uh, uh, and his grace, gave us grace, made us alive together with Christ um, and gave us all these blessings in him, right? And then Paul or, um, um, uh, Mike preached last week on Ephesians 2, uh, 8 through 10, which talked about really the nature of how we connect with this. It's grace and we connect with it by faith, which is a gift of God. And then out of that faith and living out that faith, we, we have work to do in this world, right? That God has created in this world um, and he himself, we are his workmanship, he's working in us, and then we have these works to do that are established by him. So that's, that's really the, the, the gist of chapters 1 uh, and 2 through verse 10. What The footnote today is, I want us to, to, to understand something very important about this. 
that this is, while this is beautiful theology and this is deep theology, it's important theology and it's rich theology, some of the most beautiful, rich, deep theology in the New Testament, but it is not impersonal theology. This is the Apostle Paul writing this. It, it, he isn't describing a disinterested intellectual pursuit for him. It is a personal experience that he had in his own life. And one of the beautiful things about the Apostle Paul is that that experience that he had of but God, right? But God intervening in his life has, uh, was repeated throughout his ministry. So today we're looking at actually, in the book, just in the book of Acts alone, Paul shares his testimony, his story of God meeting him, beginning the story process of redeeming Paul's story three times, three times just in the book of Acts, he repeats it. We're looking, they're all a little different because he's speaking different groups of people. And so we're looking at Acts 26, which is the third and final one, just because some of the nuances there are particularly liked. Uh, for today, but what I want us to see is this: when you read Acts, uh, Ephesians two one through ten, it's it's very um, clinical. You were in some ways you were dead, but God, you're alive, and these are indicative, descriptive terminology, right? And so we can unfortunately sometimes sort of experience it like that. But I want us to step out and look at Paul's story and see how God redeemed Paul's story and how he, in the same way, redeems our story today. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 26, verses 4 through 18. When I'm done, I'll say this, will, this is the word of the Lord, and I invite you to uh, respond by saying thanks be to God. As Paul says, my manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I've lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it, that, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced what I ought to do, uh, that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when uh, we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, I'm going to pause on that very quickly because you're like, that's a weird phrase. We don't use that term, right? Goads. But goads were used to guide oxen, right? When they were plowing, they were working or, or pulling a, a cart, you, you would use a goad to, to correct an oxen if it was getting off path. And you would correct it harder the more it was off track and the less it was listening. So, so, so God is saying, Paul, you're kicking against me. I'm trying to correct you, but you're kicking against me, and it's impossible for you to ultimately win this, uh, win this situation. So he says, why do you kick against the goats? And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith. This is the word of the Lord. So this is Paul's story, and, and when you read it in Acts 9 the first time, it, it, there's, you know, there's a little bit more detail of what exactly happened. He was blinded, right? He, he spent uh, three days not being able to see, and then uh, Ananias, who was a believer uh, in another town, God gave him a vision to go pray, go, go, go lay hands on the apostle Paul and, and, uh, and, and open his eyes. Uh, I don't know if you'd, I, I couldn't imagine receiving that prayer, that, that vision from God. Hey, you know the guy that's killing all the Christians? I want you to go pray for him. I'd be like, um, <clears throat> I think this, uh, I think this connection's wrong, God. I'm not sure that's where you want me to go because he's killing Christians. Um, but the beautiful thing is that that it began this process of God redeeming Paul's story. Right? He uh, it began as a Christian prayed for him, and his eyes were open, and he began this journey of walking among believers as a humble follower of Jesus. And it's this beautiful moment uh, that you see glimpses of even through his letters. Um, but what I want us to see today is, is the part of God redeeming our story. And this is not like theologically, we've looked at it theologically from Acts 2 and or, uh, uh, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2. But, but what I want us to look out today is more just some features, some parts of the way God redeems us in relation especially to our past. So number one, I want us to see that God knows our past. God knows our past. He sees it. Um, secondly, I want us to see that God is redeeming, uh, redeems us from our past, which is specific language. He's redeeming us from that. It's no longer has um, bondage and we no longer have the penalty of our sin, right, in our past. Um, and, uh, and then the final, final message here is that's interesting, as you see in Paul's life, is that God redeems our past, is redeeming our past now for his glory. So he's redeemed us. We are redeemed. But Paul, you can see God took Paul's past and is actually redeeming it through his life now uh, for, for his glory, for God's glory. So let's, let's walk through these. First, I want us to see uh, that God knows our past. Now, I, I know we, we talk about this, Ephesians 2, we talk about all of our sins being dead and our trespasses and sins, and those are specific things, and that's an extremely important part of, of what it means for God to see our past and our specific sins. But um, Paul, what I want us to look at are like larger threads, if you will, or events of our past that, that have shaped us as human beings today and the way that we live and the way that we think. Because what Paul highlights here. Um, is, is some larger ways of thinking, the larger ways that he was living, wasn't it? It wasn't like, hey, you know, I did this and this and this and this and this and I had a bad attitude. He talks about, even uses the language of, this is the way I thought. But God is changing my thinking, right? I'm, I'm living differently. So um, looking at, your, at Paul's past, he highlighted that he was basically a self-righteous perfectionist. Paul was raised in a context that taught that religious performance was, was the greatest good. It was your identity. It was your hope. Um, everything you are, your value as a human being is rooted in your ability to follow the rules. And you can just imagine that this either came in 
unlikely, but came maybe as a severe response to his parents because they were way off the other end, but extremely unlikely because he, he, he was raised in a Jewish household, right? Um, and so more likely that was built into him at a young age. And so then what did he choose? He chose the strictest group of of uh, Jews to follow their religion, their teaching, the most um, conservative, most um, had more rules than anybody, right? And this is what led him to be, to think that um, by being a, a better religious person, he had more self-worth. This was a performance-based self-worth. And this was Paul's thinking. Um, this was his past now today, you know, us today, we like to, people like to deny our past. We like to ignore our past. We like to reframe our past, especially if it makes us look bad, right? Or it hurt, hurt us. We, we like to not talk about that, or we like to reframe it, or we like to just uh, ignore it as much as possible. Uh, Louis Giglio talks about four chains of our past. And I think the, these were super helpful for me to think through for myself. And he said, uh, the first one is failures. At some point, you made a decision, you took a step, you said some things, uh, you, you tried something, it didn't go the way you hoped, it didn't go the way that you planned, um, what you thought was going to work out didn't work out, and it was a failure on your part. It was a failure, and it, it feels like a weight that you're carrying. Um, something you had planned for uh, didn't happen, and you carry guilt or shame or a sense of failure. A second one is disappointment, related to that, obviously. Uh, is someone or something you were counting on in life didn't come through. You were, you were thinking this was going to happen, and, and it didn't. Um, someone left. Someone uh, didn't do what they said they would do, and they hurt you. They let you down bad. Maybe a relationship ended. Maybe, uh, maybe in a moment you, uh, you, you even called on God, but, but you felt like God didn't answer. God didn't come through. So there was this hard moment and you were disappointed because God wasn't there. God didn't speak, right? God didn't seem to be present and you felt alone. You look back and you don't know where God was or what he did, but all you know is he didn't seem to come through. And maybe even as a Christian, uh, if you're a Christian, you, you, you slapped a, a Christian bumper sticker on that thing and said, too blessed to be stressed, right? I'm, I'm uh, God is good all the time, and all the time, God's good, right? Now, that's true in one sense, but that doesn't, that's not a band-aid over the pain that we experience and disappointments. Things hurt. Like, one of the beautiful things about Scripture is that it acknowledges it. It looks at it and goes, yeah, that's, that's hard. That's bad. That's rough. And maybe because of this disappointment, you find it hard today to have faith in God and faith that he'll walk with you today. A third one that's big, probably the biggest one, is wounds. Wounds is someone wounded you deeply. Sometimes they came through words. How many of you remember specific words said by a specific person who had influence in your life that hurt you deeply? And you're sitting here it's been years, maybe even decades, and you still remember those words. Well, those words are with you, right? You're carrying those words. Maybe it's not words. It was physical or emotional hurt. It created a wound that, that, that hurt your soul on a deep level, and you've never been the same. 
And unfortunately, with these wounds, as if that's not hard enough, what I see, uh, I've seen so many times with deeply wounded people, is they end up in this weird case where they go, well, I I guess I kind of deserved it, or somehow in that it was my fault that I experienced that wound. I mean, that is a lie, right? That's a but, but it carries, you carry it through your life. It's a wound. It shapes the way you think, the way you live, right? Um, and, and so God, the, the message today is God sees your wound. But sometimes that wound can keep us in a mindset that keeps us from fully embracing the love, grace, and freedom that Christ has for us. And the final one related to the, the, the fourth chain is, uh, is loss. These there are things we have lost. We've lost people in our lives. We've lost uh, uh, maybe relationships in our life. Something's gone. There's no getting it back. There's no undoing it. Um, something happened, and, and now that's no longer there. I would argue we collectively all feel that because of COVID. If you don't feel some sense of loss for the last year and a half of your life, then you're, you're an amazingly healthy person, or maybe you're just ignoring uh, that pain. But there's a loss. We lost a year and a half of our lives, especially here in the city where we were locked down for so long and even now still wearing masks. So there's a, there's a collective sense of loss even in this room and then a personal sense of loss among many of us. Every person in this room has failures, disappointments, wounds, or losses in your past that are still shaping the way that you live today. And the thing you need to hear is that God sees them. God sees your past. He sees you. And, the, and the, the truth of the matter is we don't want to admit it, but we think certain ways today. We act certain ways today. We respond in certain ways today in our lives because of these things in our past. And that's the, this is the part of, of um, discipleship. This is a part of, of um, being a follower of Jesus that we don't talk a lot about. Um, because we, 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 tend to, we tend to use the language of, well, I'm forgiven, right? I'm cleansed, I'm forgiven. But, but we think that that means we don't have to think about those things before. But the truth is our ways of thinking, our ways of coping, our ways of reacting, our ways of, of dreaming and hoping in this life right now and in our personal lives are shaped by that. So if you're actually going to have victory, if you're going to have your story, your story is going to be fully redeemed, it's not going to just be that you're forgiven and cleansed from your past and, and, and you know, that somehow you have freedom now from those sins, uh, but it's going to be understanding how those things still affect the way that you uh, live today. Paul says in, verse, uh, in Acts 26, verse 4, my manner of life from my youth. In the verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things. He wasn't just talking about actions. The sins are actions, but, but there are um, things underneath sin that, that need to be addressed, that need to be teased out, that, that, um, and many of which maybe aren't even our fault that influence us today, though. I'm, I'm 49 years old, and I am still figuring out how events of my life uh, are shaping my life today. One in particular that... Uh, I've only had about five or seven years on this one, is that around five years old, this is, this is sort of a, one of my early memories, um, and I didn't even think about how much it impacted me or like the way I, I like looked at the world, the way I coped in situations. But at five years old, um, I was living in Richmond, Virginia, and I had a, a kid a year or two older than me across the street. His name was Robert. And 
Um, I wanted to go play with Robert, and so we played together quite a bit. And all I remember is Robert increasingly growing aggressive towards me uh, until a point where, just as nicely as I could say it, he beat the stuffing out of me for no apparent reason. And then he did it again, did it again. And I actually don't remember how many times, but it was multiple times that I remember literally being on the ground and him on top of me and just punching me as hard as he could. I didn't know why. I never understood why. I just didn't want to be there. Wanted to be anywhere else, but he was bigger than me and I couldn't get up. I couldn't get up until he was, thought he was done. Um, and so that created some feelings in me and some experiences I had after that, even getting into fights and situations where I learned weakness is dangerous. Being weak is dangerous. If you are weak, others will be powerful and will hurt you. And so I was, I was discipled by that experience into this idea that I needed to be strong. I needed to stay away from situations where I was weak or I was vulnerable. And I needed to try to control the circumstances and the people around me. And you know what that led to in my life? Sin. I hurt a lot of people over the years. I, I alienated a lot of people. You can ask uh, Teresa to this day, after 27 years of marriage, I still don't find it easy to be super vulnerable with her. Sometimes because it's so deep down in me, I don't want to dig it up. It's hard. And it's hard for me as a 49-year-old man to look back and, and go, and the experiences I had as a five-year-old boy still shape the way I think about this world and think about myself and think about you. But that's one of the ways that we're set free. Knowing that today, whatever your failures, disappointments, your wounds that you're carrying in this room today, God sees those. He sees them, right? That's the first step is that we acknowledge that God sees that. Secondly, God redeems us from our past. This is some good news here. God, God, uh, Paul lays out his whole past here and then shares how Jesus encountered him on the road to Damascus, right? So this is, the, this is what theologians call justification, right? Uh, he was justified in that moment. He was forgiven of his sins. He was redeemed out of sin. Out, he now belonged to Jesus, right? Uh, uh, the, in Ephesians 2 language, Paul, when he left, uh, left uh, for Damascus, was dead in his trespasses and sins. But God, on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him, redeemed him, began this new journey uh, of, of faith in his life, right? Um, the gospel doesn't meet us halfway. The gospel doesn't sugarcoat our past conditions. We were dead. God didn't interrupt Paul and go, you know what, buddy? I love your passion, man. You are, you are on fire. I just need to redirect that a little bit, right? No, he, 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 Paul was dead. He was very physically active, but he was dead in relation to God and God redeemed him out of that. And part of Paul's story was this whole process that um, wherever you are today, wherever you have been today, whatever bad is in your past, and Paul's got you beat, right? One of, the, one of the staggering things about verse, even verse 11, if you look in your Bible, it says, in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Raging fury. Paul was angry. He was passionate. He was like a, like a tiger after these people, right? This wasn't a, oh, we should stop these people. It was, man, it was, it was consuming him. 
which also says something about like where he was, right? His, his religious performance, he needed, to, he needed to, to, to keep this going and the way he demonstrated that he was worth something and, 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 and actually a better, honestly, had a righteousness of his own was to, to not just be better than other people, but to stop the people that were any threat at all to his ideas. Even to the point, so he, he, he dragged men and women from their homes. He beat them. He took their stuff. He paraded them through the streets. And then even to the point of the opportunity to be complicit in murder, right? Paul's up there like, hey, guys, coat check over here. I'll hold your coats. Go get them. I mean, think about that. He was complicit in murder. And yet God redeemed him. Out of that, God took all of Paul's sin and put it on the cross. And he didn't do it reluctantly, right? Ephesians 2, uh, verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he had for us. So this is God's compassion. That Paul was not just an idiot. Paul was trying to kill the very people of God. And God still went in after him in his great love. And this is why Paul uses the language of, of salvation. Galatians 2.20 he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is redemption, right? Paul, old Paul's dead. The old dead guy, he's dead. But now I'm in Christ and I am, I am fully free. And listen, though, he says the life I now live is not in perfection, he says, I, the, my life I now live is by faith. So faith is, faith is growing. Faith is shaping. Faith is uh, maturing. This is the gospel of redemption, the good news. This is why our, our church will always be about the gospel. As long as, long as I have a voice, the elders have a voice, we're going to be about the gospel. The gospel is a, a core value of who we are as a church. There is nothing else to hold up. There's no other message that we could deliver to people. Try harder, be a better person. Let's go do some humanitarian stuff together. You can get that all over the place. You can only get the gospel from the church of Jesus Christ. That's the message we live by. And so I want you to hear that today, even as we would talk about this third idea of God redeeming our story. He has redeemed us. Okay, He has. But he's also in the process of redeeming our story and redeeming us. This is sanctification. So sanctification, the idea of being made holy, in one sense, we are positionally sanctified because as Paul says in Ephesians, we are in Christ. So if you anyone is in, uh, 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 in Christ, they are a new creation. They are sanctified. They are holy in God's sight. They have the garments of Christ, right? The purity of Christ. But practically, that is the way we live our day-to-day life. We are also being made like Christ because Paul says, uh, in, in Romans 8, that God has predestined us, right? And to, he has predestined us to be made in the image, after the image of Christ. And this is why Romans 8 also tells us we have to put to death the deeds of the flesh, right? This is not, this is not check mark, I'm done for life now because I'm a Christian and God's redeemed my past. No, it is this process now of putting to death the deeds of your flesh, which, where do they come from? Where do your deeds of the flesh come from? They come from your flesh, which you've had your whole life. So the wounds and the, the, the struggles, the experiences you've had before Christ, they still shape the way that you live today. They still shape the way that you think today. 
And being a Christian is very much about putting these things to to death. So God is redeeming our story and leveraging it, I would argue, for his glory. Look at Acts 26, verse 17, uh, second part of 17 into 18. Paul says, uh, the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and the power of Satan to, to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, I purposely didn't tell you the context of Acts 26. You know what Acts 26 is Paul's doing? Preaching to King Agrippa, a Gentile, and a, a huge gathering of Gentile people. This is what Paul's doing. Paul is preaching about his redemption, and in preaching, he is preaching that God told me I would be preaching. <laughs> this is the redemption of his story, right? He's told them who he was and who he is. And he's now preaching this good news, this message. The passionate persecutor of Christians has become the passionate spokesperson for Christ. And I think one of the things you need to hear today is that God wants to to redeem your past. It's a process of it. And, And the sooner you can begin to acknowledge and understand and look back and realize that, that the sins you commit today are not random. They're shaped by the way you think, which is shaped by the experiences of your life, right? The Christian life is about following Jesus. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. What does that mean? He doesn't say take up a cross. He says take up your cross, a very specific cross, a cross for you personally, Right? You sin in certain ways. Why? Because you're a complex mixture of emotions, thoughts, and feelings, right? And and your experiences. You are. No one in this room has the same experiences that you do, which is why you really should never try to be like someone else. Because you are you. You're, You're the only one who has your experiences. You are the only one who was created in the image of God with the DNA and wiring you have and all the experiences you have. God knows. And I know you might be thinking, but I have some terrible experiences in my past. I have deep wounds that I'm carrying. God sees that, right? He has redeemed you. And now he wants to take that story and flip it on its head. He wants to take that which which Satan meant for evil in your life and use it for good. What you are tempted to love today more than God is rooted in your past. What you're tempted to hope in more than God is rooted in your past. They, how, they impact your meaning and your purpose, how you handle stress, how you think about success. All of these things come from your past. We tend to look at, I, I did this. So one of the underlying sort of emotions that, that I struggle with, and it happened a lot during COVID, was, uh, was anger. Just I had, had anger my entire life. I think part of it's just uh, going back to, to feeling weak and powerless, and anger is a powerful emotion, right? It's how I respond um, in moments. And, but anger is a surface emotion. If you're an angry person, anger is not your fundamental issue, and you're not going to overcome anger by, by simply repenting of your anger. 
You need to get underneath that and ask yourself, why am I angry in this moment? We like to blame our circumstances. I'm angry because she said this and he did that. Then what you're saying in that moment is that any human being in your circumstances would necessarily always in all situations be angry. And I think we're, we're smart enough to know that's not true. So the question is, why are you angry? Not why someone else might be angry, but why you are angry. And underneath that, anger is, can be all kinds of emotions, wounds, uh, disappointments, fear, anxiety. They, they're all rooted in our past. For me, most of my life, I, I, I didn't think about these things. I didn't think about why I struggled in relationships. I didn't think about why I struggled at moments to, to, be, to be vulnerable, to be genuinely vulnerable with people. I never stopped and asked. I thought, well, that's just me. It's the way I roll. It's who I am, right? And, and, and yes, it's part of who I am. But God wants to redeem that part of me because it's not based on who I am in Christ. It's based on that scared little boy that got hurt. And that's not who I am in Christ anymore. And I think in, across this room today, there are, some of you that are, have wounds, but you're even afraid to acknowledge them. One wound that I see in our city, I'll just throw this out there, I see across our church, across our churches, plural, and across our city, is, a, um, is an achievement-oriented self-worth. Where, you, where not just like, hey, I've done well, and I can, I, can take, uh, I can take a little bit of pride in doing well, but that it's your identity to do well. And that if you don't succeed, if you do come up short, it's a fundamental threat to your identity and who you are as a person. Because you were instilled at a very young age that you're, you're simply worth more if you do better. Right? I mean, I think we can be honest about this. It's every parent, I don't think any, I don't think any parents set out to do this intentionally to their child. But how many of us felt like our parents would love us just a little bit more if we succeeded? If we didn't get that B, we got into that program and we married the right person and we had the right number of children, grandchildren for them, right? As long as we live close to them. I've disappointed my parents because I don't live close to them. But, um, but we have that. And, and it's not that it's bad to have goals. But if you can look at yourself right now and you can say, you know what, I, I have goals, I work hard, I have a lot of drive, and that drive is not 100% under the dominion of God's glory, then you're being driven by something. There's something rooted in you, and I would argue it's rooted in your past that has been shaping you and discipling you in your ways of thinking your entire life, and you are in bondage to it, and you may not even realize it. Christ has come to set us free. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. We are free. You're free to succeed. Go chase, you know, solve the biggest problems in the universe, right? If you can fix the oceans, I personally, that's a goal of mine. I would love to see our oceans clean again. So if you do that, I would, I'll cheer you until the day I die. So if that's your gig and you do that and your name's on the whatever thing in the ocean that cleans the oceans, that's awesome. As long as it's for God's glory and not because you have a hole in your heart that you are desperately trying to feel like you're worth something. 
big difference. Ex- externally, may look the same. Internally, it's hugely different, significantly different. The one issue, one issue with these areas in our lives that are not that we don't address, and I want us to, to reflect on briefly as we, we close. These areas, and I didn't realize this in my life, this, the, this became, my, in my life, a, a stronghold. A spiritual stronghold where, where my ways of thinking, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't understand the gospel, how the gospel connected here. I just, it was like a veiled area of my life that I just didn't see why I was responding certain ways. I just asked God to forgive me and help me do better. Instead of addressing some of the deeper things in my heart that were actually feeding into this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And I realize spiritual warfare, a lot of times we talk about what's out there. Spiritual warfare is in here, right? Strongholds, you can define them uh, as this. One pastor defines them. He says, a mindset, value system, or thought process that hinders your growth in Christ and the advancement of Jesus' kingdom. Anyone see how your past might have fed a stronghold in your life today? Yes. This is Satan's playground in our lives. And it's not just a stronghold. It's not just something that has a hold of you. It's something you have a hold on. It's the way you've been thinking and you feel like that's going to give you what you ultimately want. And until you can release your grip on that, until I can fully own that I don't need to be in control of every situation. I can be vulnerable because I'm a human being and I don't have to be perfect and I don't have to carry shame and guilt about not being perfect or not being strong enough all the time. Until I can do that, that's going to be a stronghold in my life. And you and, and I both have to work through these. But some of us have been carrying it for so long, we don't even realize it. I don't know if anyone's... Um, Heard of, heard of floaters in your vision. I, I didn't know much about them. I actually worked at an eyeglass place while I was doing my Master of Divinity for about six months. Um, floaters are, are little, they're little protein deposits that, that show up, and some are white. I had a friend who, they were black. They were black dots. And I was like, really? You see black dots? And he said, well, yeah. I mean, they're kind of around in my vision. And, and I was like, are they there? He's like, yeah, they're all, all the time. He goes, but here's the thing. I'm to just get used to them. And then you don't realize you're not really seeing things as they are. And I think for some of us, we've been carrying some things so long in our story that we just see and we, we, we don't see them anymore. They're black dots in our vision that we don't see. How do we break these strongholds? 2 Corinthians, 5, uh, 2, or 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. So we just read verse 4 verse 5. It says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ. Every thought. If you need to stop thinking about battles in terms of your workplace or battles in terms of of your neighborhood or your family or whatever, and start thinking about the battles in here of taking these thoughts captive to Christ. Because I guarantee you across this room right now, if we could project everyone's individual worst thoughts we've had in the last week or two on, this, on these screens, we would all be utterly shocked. We have told ourselves we're worthless. 
We're told our, we've told ourselves we're not going to succeed. We've told ourselves we're, not, we're damaged goods. We've told ourselves we don't deserve to be happy. We've told ourselves we are weak. We have told ourselves these things over and over again, and those are the spaces that we need to take those lies captive to Christ and who we are in Christ. That is not who you are anymore. You are in Christ. You are a new creation. I am not that five-year-old boy or this 13-year-old boy that used to get in fights or whatever, right? I'm not him anymore. Yes, it's part of my story, but that's the beauty. God wants to redeem that now. I'll tell you something and let you in on a little secret. I didn't want to say all this today. Right? I didn't. Why? Anyone? Because it makes me vulnerable. (laughs) And I don't think I could have done this seven or eight years ago. Right? It's been a journey for me. And I'm praying for you today. And we're going to give space as we respond now. We're going to have the... Um, Hannah's going to come play keys for us for just a moment. I want to give us a little bit of space to pray and reflect, right? Some of you brought things through that door today that you've been dragging a long time. They aren't sin. They aren't things that you did, but they are wounds. They are hurts. They are experiences that are shaping you today, and you can't seem to be set free from them. And so today, I want us to just bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. I'm going to ask you to just ask God. Ask the Spirit to bring to mind those things that have been shaping your mind, shaping your life, those lies that you've been believing, and even think about the experiences themselves that have shaped that. Just ask God to reveal that to you. And bring that before Jesus. Bring that before his throne. Bring that before the cross. Give it to him. Father, we repent of the lies that we have been believing. Things we have been grasping for. The things we have been hoping in that are not you. And Lord, we want to ask you to bring to light those places in our hearts that we have just puffed away, adored, or simply resolved ourselves that we're not going to ever get over it. Let us bring that before you and see that you have made all things new in us and that as new creatures, we can walk in the fullness of life that you have given us and help us to, to embrace you redeeming those, those parts of us which we're most ashamed of redeeming them, setting us free, using it all for your glory. 
We ask you to do that today, Lord. We thank you for the bread and the cup that we are about to take as we as we know and are reminded of the price that you paid for all of this was not cheap. At the cost of your own life on the cross, bled, died in our place. As we take the bread and the cup, we remember Jesus, remember you. You set us free to that again today. In your name.